Welcome back to a new episode of Engage, a podcast from the CIPR. In this episode, our host and guests discuss the concept of the war for talent, the extent to which this is happening in PR and communications, and the steps organizations can take to attract, recruit, and retain talent. Hi there, and thank you for joining us for today's episode. We're talking today about the war for talent. My name is John Clegg. I am the Internal Communications and Engagement Manager for HR Wallingford. Been in communications for about 10 years, and I'm joined today by uh, a couple of panelists who I'm very excited to be speaking with today. We've got Christine and Talawani. Thank you, John. Hi, I'm Christine. I am currently a senior talent acquisition partner at BCW, a PR agency. I have been with BCW about 18 months now, but I have been hiring talents into the communication industry for about seven, eight years now. And I'm really, really looking forward for the conversation discussion today. Thank you. My name is Toluani Omotoye and um, thank you so much, John, for the introduction. Um, I'm a communications coordinator at GlobalX ETFs um, and I've been there actually just over a month. I recently joined from spending a year and a half at a communications consultancy, um, which I joined straight out of university. So I'm really looking forward to um, discussing the both of you today and just how the conversation is going to go. Something that Tawani and I have in common, I started my new job about a week and a half ago, so we're both still reasonably new <laughs> in the game, um, which is actually really pertinent to today's topic, I think, because we're talking about talent, talent retention, and the war for talent. Now, to me, this is nothing new, and people have been changing jobs for, you know, decades. Within the last sort of 20 to 30 years, though, there's been a lot of shifts when it comes to talent and the approach to talent retention. So what are the tactics that companies and organizations are doing to keep their people? Um, because effectively, an organization as a whole does not exist. An organization is made up of people. So people are what are driving these companies and organizations. Um, so, Christine, have you noticed any significant changes or trends? I think with recently, probably for the the, the biggest change that we've seen for the past couple of years this year, last year is due to um, the microeconomic climate or due to a lot of um, inflation, cost of living change, there is quite a lot um, on ease with employees, not just within the PR industry, but I can tell from the wider industry, there's a quite a lot uncertainty with different organizations. And then so at BCW, how we keep the talent is like, because we are quite decent sized companies. So there's actually quite a lot um, different opportunities within the agencies 
ourselves, like for example, if people um working on the consumer team and they want to try collaborative with the healthcare team or the corporate team, there if there's chance, we would kind of support their movement within the organization and also um pieces of we're quite fortunate enough to have a variety of clients, a variety of different innovation works. So we try to be able to shape the role for our talents to try to keep them within the organization as much as we could. And also at the same time, we have really good benefit within the company. We have great flexible working policy. We provide a mental health airline, wraparound mental health care program. And also we have like really great pension scheme. So all these like benefits, what we do for employee, how we shape their role and how we um, support them with their career progression, the training. Um, we kind of use all these to help as a retention, if that makes sense. Completely makes sense. And wow, you there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, <laughs> you hit on like all of the key sort of um, elements from benefits to, you know, talent retention and, and um, career development, keeping people um, in the, the organization. I think one of the things to really uh, highlight there that you you again touched on is the scale of the organization. So BCW is a a reasonably large um, company. You have the ability to be flexible and you have more resources to um, examine and and have um, a better benefits package than a lot of smaller organizations may may do. so I also chair the not-for-profit group for um, the CIPR. So I do a lot of work with uh, not-for-profits and small charities, smaller organizations, government organizations, things that um, places that may have less resources um, to be able to throw at uh, you know employees to to try and keep them to stay to to keep them in the organization. <sighs> What would you say would be some of the challenges or some of the possibilities that smaller organizations could do with less resources? I do think when it comes to um, bigger organization, a small organization, there's always pros and cons in different environment, right? Because like sometimes in the smaller organization, they do so many different things in their role and they can learn really, really quickly within a small organization because they have to wear so many hats. Um, that's how they progress quite quickly in their career as well. But within bigger organization, as you rightly said, we have like quite big resource. We have different opportunity, but some people might, you, you can't keep everyone happy as much as we try. There will still be people saying, oh, I could have done that in a small organization or I could have done that in a different size organization. So we can only try our best and try to make sure we offer what we can offer to to the employees and then um at the end of the day they still need make, need to make the best decision for themselves what they want to learn if they can learn from this organization or if they have to go somewhere else could be smaller could be bigger to develop their specific the skill set they're looking for completely agree and i think for me i am very mission driven so for that's one of the reasons why i love working in the nonprofit sector um is that um you know i they tend to be companies that are less focused on profit they tend to be you know but they do tend to be more mission focused you do have places like charities the nhs government organizations um religious organizations all of those sort of places where you know 
education where there's a real concrete understanding of how your role helps society. And I think that really resonates with me and personally, and I think with a lot of other people as well in terms of how they can um, move their career and the types of organizations that they're likely to go to. Now, Talawani and I have both uh, recently uh, moved jobs. So um, what was your experience? Were you looking, were you on the hunt for the next move? Were you trying to progress your career? Um, and, and if you were, what, what attracted you to, to where you are now? I was previously employed at Keck CNC, which is a strategic communications consultancy. Um, and I joined there straight after I finished university. Um, personally, because I'm quite like development focused, when I did join, I told myself I'm giving myself a year of like learning and working with my head down. And then after a year, I wanted to sit and reassess what have I learned? Do I think I want to stay here long term? Or is there things that I've picked up that I could possibly take um, and develop even further elsewhere? Um, so obviously working at an agency was great because I feel like you learn loads of the foundational skills needed for a career in PR communications. But by the end of that first year that I gave myself, I realized that I didn't see a long-term career for me on the agency side of things. So one of the big things for me in my move was that I wanted to go in-house. I think agency life is great for many different reasons, but I think it's also one of those things that's either you really love it or it's not really your cup of tea. And for me, I felt like I'm constantly on the outside of like bigger picture things. I felt like I was constantly wearing loads of different hats for loads of different industries. And I wasn't able to really focus and like be committed to like one specific organization, one specific sector and learn more and then constantly think about how what I'm learning can develop that strategic like vision further. So I decided that the big thing for me in moving was I wanted to go in-house so I could kind of like have a more holistic view of a like strategy and all my work is going to was thinking of how can I improve this? How can I make this better? How can we develop this even further? So that was like the big um, drive behind my move. So I did start seeking after, I think after like about a year and a few months, I started looking and I came across my current job on LinkedIn. I think that's a really interesting point in that, you know, we all try to find the job that suits us, right? It, it need, your job needs to support your life, you know, not just earn you a salary. You know, you need to enjoy what you do. You need to enjoy where you work. And that's more than just the company. It's the type of organization. It's the type of role. It's the, you know, whether it's mission related like it was for me or whether it is being in-house. By the way, I completely get that. I'm not an agency kind of guy. That just does not work for me. But it's about knowing what works for you. And you don't get that initially. I know from my experience earlier on in my career, I shifted roles a few more frequently, you know, to find what worked for me. I needed to have some of those other experiences um, to really then find where I fit. And then once I found that and the type of organization, I tended to stay for longer. To just agree both what you guys are saying, but on top of that, I also want to mention um, it's so hard. What is really important to find the people you enjoy working with 
it doesn't matter big organization or small organization because you see them more than you see your family at least that's why <laughs> I talk to them more than I talk to my family so you kind of want to make sure you find the organization has really good culture that can resonate with you the environment that resonate with you which I think fortunately enough like BCW we we have been able to provide quite a lot of diverse culture or diverse working environment for all the different people from all sorts of different backgrounds that's why I well I'm still here for 18 months I think that's a good thing isn't it <laughs> I mean personally from my experience there have been times where the team that I worked with were so great and we got on so well and we were such good friends that that kept me in the job probably longer than I should have stayed thinking about it from a career progression perspective or even a culture and fit. So the rest of the organization wasn't necessarily right, but I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. So I stayed there probably longer than I should have done. Um, that's that's a, a fascinating point as well. Um, but I think one of the interesting things that we have sort of skirted around and haven't really addressed is the diversity and inclusion angle. So, you know, it is really important when organizations are recruiting to make sure that they recruit a diverse workforce. Um, and that definitely, for me, plays into the, the people that I'm working with. And, you know, is it a good culture? Is it a good fit? Am I working in a, a place where there's a lot of different perspectives and viewpoints? PR comes under a lot of flack for not being an especially diverse industry. Christine, what is your experience with trying to recruit a wider diversity? That is a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, um, to your point, that's something we've been working on or I've been working on personally since I've joined um, the, the PR industry. So it's it's never easy, but I think step by step, we are all making progressions compared to when I first joined PR industry about seven, eight years ago, compared to nowadays, you can see a lot of change. It's probably not enough, but we we all working towards the same goal as a wider PR industry. So with um, PCW, we actually have an entry-level program. We call them uh, we call them Propel. It is to kind of, um, it is a uh, program to cultivate or to support on the represented talent to kind of kickstart their career in, in the communication space. So last year we partnered with Telebenet Foundation to broaden our outreach for, for the wider audience instead of just go on LinkedIn, just put on our, um, our website. So we partnered with them to kind of bring in the people from other represented talent. They might not heard about us. They might not know about PR. So how we, how we, work on this program is we post our jobs and then we don't ask for their CV. We hire them based on the potentials. So we wouldn't know where they come from, what background they have. We only ask them a couple of questions. Like for example, if you were to cultivate an, an creative exhibition, how would you do that? And what would you do? What items would you include? So, so questions like those and based on the answers, we invite them in into assessment day and assessment day would be different kind of presentation, different activities. And based on those, we, we made the decisions on who we hire. So we have, we don't see their CV. 
So we, we don't know where they're coming from. So we thought that that would be help us to break down the barriers because some people might not have a PR degree. Some people might didn't know about PR, but they do have the potential. So we purely hire them based on potential. We, and with the program, we, we offer them competitive um, salary plus sign-up bonus to overcome the salary barrier. Because I know sometimes within the PR industry, the starting salary could be not as helpful as someone want to step into this industry. So we try to overcome that um, barrier. And then throughout their time here, we offering like training program, mentoring program to kind of give them the tool to learn this industry. Either they want to stay within BCW afterwards or they want to go out to different uh, organization within the PR where they might have decided PR is not for them after they join this program, but that's fine. We just want to kind of support them to kind of at least start somewhere. I think salary is a big blocker and barrier at times. So in places like in the city of London, you have corporate organizations which have, you know, even entry-level jobs that have very high salaries comparatively. And you find other organizations where entry-level roles are less than half of the salary. And you just think, how can people survive on that much? You know, it's, it is a challenge and a blocker. And I think we have to recognize that there's the people who can accept roles on that level of salary are privileged and come with that privilege. And we need to address that. From an employee experience perspective, I'm not trying to do a product placement, but I've been reading a fantastic book called Building a Culture of Inclusivity by um, Advita Patel and Priya Bates. And it's uh, all about internal communications and how internal communications can um, help to create a more inclusive culture within the organization and the benefits of that. So it's you know, filled with some really fantastic tactical um, frameworks that I, I recommend people to to look at. But I think one of the things that has struck me about the book is the way in which we are able to sort of keep people once we get them through the door, you know, and what we need to do and how much work we need to focus on you know, keeping them there by making them feel that they belong. And I think there's a massive problem with belonging in PR for people of color, from people of different uh, classes and socioeconomic background, for um, different orientations, sexual orientations, all sorts of different people who are outside of the, the sort of norm and um, there, there's a lot of work to be done, definitely. So I think one of the other things to consider around talent, talent retention, is what else are some of these other perceived barriers to joining PR and comms from the new starters perspective? I mean, we've touched on salary, we've touched on some of the DNI barriers. Are there any others? I do think another barrier, well, at least I've seen um, in for PR, is a lot of people didn't actually know about PR, or they didn't know you can go into PR as a career. Um, we think, which I, because based on the conversation I've had with some some um, young generation candidates or my friends, is a lot of people didn't know what what does PR do. 
Like, what do we do? They have no idea. They just thought, oh, it's PR, but what do you do? They probably don't know. So they didn't think about going to this industry. So actually something we're working on um, trying to support this is we do have like ambassador from our companies to go into talks with a charity to go into the talks with the school or write a blog with the university write a blog with the newsletter we also try to host kind of insights day or master class with different organization or school students to kind of help them to understand a little bit more what is pr and what actually happens in our world so kind of give them a bit flavor of this could be industry or this could be something you might be interesting they might just didn't know about it i think that's one of the barriers um i think but i don't yeah i don't know if that's something similar to what you guys have seen on the market or your own experience from from my own experience i've seen a lot of people don't set out to work in comms they don't go and study a communications uh degree we have a lot of people in pr who have an English degree or a literature background and because we write, right? You know, there's a lot of writing involved in corporate communications. So it is a, a common pathway, but I don't think it should be the only pathway. And I think there should be a lot more um, sort of engagement with school leavers, with colleges, with apprenticeship programs, all sorts of ways that we can sort of attract people because you don't necessarily need a degree. Once you are in, a, you know, an organization or a role, there are trainings that are available. You know, um, one of my first roles in community, in fact, my very first role in communications I got because I was doing a business development role and um, they were setting up an internal comms function in the organization. And I had been working with a specific team and I had those connections and, I was approached and they said, would you be interested in um, working in the new communications team and having responsibility for that, you know, function because you already have those connections, you have those relationships. We can train you to, te to, to you know, learn how to communicate and, you know, to understand what internal communications is. And that's sort of how I ended up segueing into a more formal internal comms pathway. I mean, Talawani, um, what was your experience of getting into the industry? Because you're still relatively new in your career, aren't you? Yeah. So I would say my experience is very linked to the DEI conversation that we had before. Um, I studied international relations at university and I went into my degree thinking that I kind of wanted to work in politics. And like after my first year, I was like, no, I don't want to work in politics. This is awful. And I basically came across the Taylor Bennett Foundation and their summer starts internship program. So I heard about it through a friend who was also doing the program and I applied because I had to look at what PR as a career entailed and I, there was like things that I thought PR was and things that I learned PR did that I was like okay this is something that I could do um there's a common misconception that PR is like just social media and like public image and while that's a large part of it um I think a lot of people don't realize that it actually does go beyond like social media events like glitz glamour like I don't think a lot of people actually realize that there's also like a very corporate side to PR there's a charity side to PR there's so many different like angles um 
So I did the internship program and it was really great, really insightful. We had like a boot camp week where we heard from loads of different people in the industry working in-house, um, in agencies at different levels, doing different types of roles. And it just made me realize how broad like that kind of career is. And then I did an internship with Freud's Communications. Um, it was really insightful and really great. Um, and then after that, I did decide that I wanted to actually work in PR um, anyway. So in my final year of university, because this was during COVID, I did like a virtual internship with a housing PR agency based in Birmingham called C Media. They were so lovely. Like I reached out to them and just said I wanted a bit more experience before I graduated. And they were willing to take me on and make me their first intern. And then applying for graduate roles, I applied to Keck CNC. And essentially that's how I came into the um, industry. When I got to Keck CNC, I did realize though that I kind of stumbled across it, as you guys have both mentioned. And I did have a very big part in trying to like make people aware that PR is actually a very viable career path, especially like you don't need to have studied PR or comms at university. Like I did IR and I still ended up here. Loads of the people that I worked with at Keck had studied history, um, politics, business, like loads of different things. So one of the roles I took when I was at Keck CNC was leading our relationship with the Taylor Bennett Foundation because I think especially people from diverse backgrounds aren't as aware of the career opportunities that are available in this industry. Um, and I said it wasn't just from an offering jobs to a more broader audience, but also an education point of view where it's like we need to actually host people and let them know this is the kind of work you can do in PR. If you're interested in politics, for example, you can work in public affairs. If you're interested in finance, you can do financial communications. If you're interested in just more the corporate business side of things, you do corporate comms. Like there is a bit of something for everyone. And I think that was what I had learned in my little experience that I was really keen to share with the people that I knew would be coming into like jobs after me. That's definitely one of the things that I love about working in communications is that to an extent, we are industry agnostic. So, you know, the communication skills remain the same, whether we're talking about marine engineering or financial services or whatever, you know, the, the theory and the framework remains the same, but we have the opportunity and the ability to switch between industries and organizations and really have an understanding and an opportunity to learn so many different things. I think one of the things that I really want to make sure we get covered on this podcast is hybrid working. And as much as I hate myself for saying this, the new normal. So now that the pandemic is technically officially over, we're all starting to settle into the new normal. And everyone said, you know, right after COVID first happened, you know, in the early stages of the pandemic, oh, this is the new normal, this is the new normal. No, actually, this now that the pandemic is over, this is the new normal because the pandemic has completely shifted the way in which we work as a society. Now, looking at that, different generations have taken that to mean different things and different generations have different needs in the workplace. And some of the generations like Generation X and, and the baby boomer generation prefer to be in the office more and are more familiar with being in the office. Generation um, Z and the millennials tend to skew 
towards working from home or having a more hybrid mix. That means location comes into play. Where do you recruit from? You know, what, where can you live and commute from? That sort of thing. What are your, what are your experiences with, you know, hybrid working and the impact that that has had on, you know, your ability to recruit or, you know, the, the, the way where your colleagues are coming from in your own organizations? Yeah, that is a really good point. And then, as you said, this is a new norm. Now we're all trying to kind of adjust to, to the new norm. Um, I, I came from back in the day before pandemic, I was in office five days a week, which is absolutely fine. But now, like two days, three days, really happy with it. I, I really appreciate the flexible working that that we all have right now. So with, um, from my own personal experience from BCW, we are really flexible on, on the working pattern. We are operating as a hybrid model. We do encourage people to come in because we still really value the time people spend together. So we try to make the environment um, kind of worthwhile for you to come in. I know some people, they don't live in London anymore. They live a bit further out. So for example, if you come in on a Wednesday, we have a voucher to support you on the launch. So can kind of compensate a little bit on your travel costs. I know the train cost is ridiculous over the roof. Nowadays, we're trying our best to help. So when you come in, maybe there's a team social, there's a team meeting. We try to make the environment to support the employees when they come in because we have really nice working office. It's really like, it's a hot desk. You can sit by anyone. You can sit by anywhere. Some days you want to sit with your own team. Some days you want to sit with different team. It's really, really flexible. And we do really appreciate when you have face-to-face conversation, we'll brainstorm, sit in a room, all together, discuss a project, discuss a pitch. That's exciting. That's a momentum you can't really create over Zoom, um, you can only see people face-to-face to, to have those conversations. Yes, of course, all the conversation can happen virtually, but when there's a face-to-face, there's more bounce on the discussion, on the brainstorming, which is really valuable. But also we appreciate everyone has different personal situation. Some people might be working parent like myself. I need to do pick up and drop off. So even though when you come into office, it's not like you have to clock in at night, clock out at six. You can come in when the hour works for you. I can usually come in a bit late. I leave a bit early because I I do pick up and drop off, but when I go back home, I still log on online after my kids gone to bed. So that really works out for me and I can be the most kind of productive during the hours I, I choose to work. So I think that works well for majority of our employees. But of course, there will be people who want to come in four or five days a week. That's completely fine as well because we do have the space for people to come in. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, we are quite flexible, which I think that's something we we the new norm as you said and we all really appreciate it i think the interesting thing around that is the new norm is flexible now because we're trying to skew towards a more hybrid situation in some ways people might have said that there was more flexibility when we were fully remote um because then they could live anywhere and you didn't have the barrier. Salary wasn't as much of a barrier. They could move to a cheaper part of the country and still work remotely. I mean, that was definitely um, one of the issues that I've seen emerge from my own experience, you know, in an organization that wasn't based in London. You know, when you're trying to attract talent outside of key talent pool areas, you know, locations, and you're getting people, trying to get people to commute, it's difficult to recruit and um, 
that that becomes a challenge. Whereas during the middle of the pandemic, it was easier. You could recruit people who lived further away because there was no expectation of them having to come into the office. So now we're in this sort of situation where we've got one foot in and one foot out, and we're not entirely sure. I think the, the dust still hasn't settled. So I've obviously only known full-time working with a hybrid situation. So one of the big things for me when I was looking for jobs is that essentially it's actually very expensive for me to go into the office more than three times a a week, even more than two times, because two times a week is £44. That's just on commuting. That doesn't factor in lunch. And again, my actual door-to-door commute is about an hour and a half. So that's an hour and a half both like both ways that I'm losing from my day and as we all know especially from the agency side it's not a nine to five it sometimes I would be doing like seven to seven so that was another big thing for me that it's like I need to have a flexible situation that does allow me to work from home if I know that my schedule is going to make me run um work later or work earlier or if I need to come into the office a bit later because I may have meetings that start later on um just based on my situation it works best for me um I do think hybrid is the new norm and it's here to stay. Again, from a Generation Z point of view, looking at roles, I would never consider a role that's not hybrid. I wouldn't say I don't see the value in being in every day, but I don't see the complete positives of it in the sense of like, I don't think it allows people to kind of work in a way that best suits their schedule if they have other commitments. I don't think it takes into consideration that some people's commutes are way further and way longer and way more expensive than others. Um, And I do think that it can sometimes be quite draining as well where um again I feel like when you're in the office all the time everyone always wants to chat which is great but then sometimes you do need that deep focus time to actually think and do work that you get when you're at home I'm very fortunate to have a really nice work from home setup and I do appreciate that not everyone does have that so I can understand why some people do prefer to be in the office more often if they feel like they work in it more productively um but I definitely think flexibility allows people to kind of figure out what works best for them how can I make sure that I'm still being as present as I need to be for work but also allowing it to fit into every other responsibility I have and also not burning myself out at the same time. Right now I live in Oxfordshire, rural Oxfordshire so completely understand what you mean about going into the office in in London. Um, That's why I, I don't work in London. It doesn't work for me. I think going back to something that Christine earlier you said in the conversation you know it's about the complete package. It's about the flexible working. It's about the development opportunities. It's about the benefits package. And, and to me, I almost see the flexible working and the the hybrid setup as being part of that benefits package. Um, and to me personally, I, I see it as indispensable. Having that personal flexibility is absolutely paramount for organizations today. So in your experience or in the organization you guys work at, do you guys have any suggestions on how could we all as a paid out industry to kind of attract diverse talent or what are you guys seeing are really successful? What are you guys seeing are kind of like you would recommend or is any suggestions on how can we help the PR industry to do better? One of the things that I'm really big about is not just talking about doing things, but actually doing things. Um, I'm a black woman. And one of the things that I do look at when I'm applying is like, will I be the only black person in this space? Will I be the only black woman? I am very aware that the PR and communications industry is not like hugely diverse. So that's something I already know. But it's also that 
if I join a company, what am I seeing that they're doing to make sure that I feel included despite my diverse background, despite my different identity? I think a lot of um, organizations aren't completely aware of how they can actually attract more diverse talent and retain it. And I think while they're not aware, a lot of them aren't actually bothered to make the effort to find out how they can do that there's amazing there's amazing organizations and charities um again like taylor bennett foundation the uk black comms network i think people like us like there's loads of organizations that if you don't know how to reach this diverse talent they can put you in touch with them um, and not just at the junior level i'm also finding that i want to see diverse representation at a senior level as well which i think is a huge challenge that a lot of companies have i'm happy to see that there's loads of like different people at a junior level but then as someone who is from a diverse background, if I'm looking at my career path at a company and I don't see anyone who looks like me, I begin to think, so where do I fit in here? So I think it's one, looking and really being quite intentional about making sure that you you are reaching out to people from diverse backgrounds in any way you can. And then also making sure that there is representation across the full um, company, like all the levels and not just at a junior level. Completely agree with you, Talawani. I think, you know, making sure that you have leadership that reflects the diversity of the organization is absolutely key. It's a challenge because oftentimes you find that leaders have been in those posts for a number of years or are the people who were hired perhaps when there was less diversity in the organization and they've worked their way up, that sort of thing. But it's definitely one that I think we can all overcome, or at least all organizations can overcome. So I myself am a gay man, and I know that looking at where I work, I want to be able to bring, I hate this phrase, but I want to be able to bring my whole self to work. I don't want to feel like I have to go back in the closet in the workplace, face discrimination or anything like that. So for me, I look at their stonewall standing so Stonewall ranks um, employees uh, or employers who um, register with them uh, based on a number of, you know, things like their policies, you know, all of those sort of um, the recruitment policies, their their HR policies, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, it, and it ranks them in terms of their, their uh, LGBTQ uh, diversity. Now, they also have a, Stonewall also has a, a job board for those partner organizations where they can list jobs. So you know by applying for those jobs uh, that you're going to an organization that values diversity and where you would be safe. Now, whenever I have in the past looked on that job board, I've never once seen a communications job listed on there. Now, that could be because it's an additional job board. So sometimes organizations have to pay for, for the listings, you know, where, where they want to put their resources when they are trying to recruit. That comes down to an organizational decision. But um, definitely, I think there are different job boards and different charities, organizations that, you know, reach out to specific communities that companies and organizations can use to sort of reach audiences that they don't normally try to attract or that they don't attract in the mainstream way. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely something that they need to be considering. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's really helpful because we are doing some of the things like exploring job boards, helping the retention to make sure. Because I'm Asian myself, so sometimes when I start a new job, I'm always worried. Like, am I going to be able to kind of enjoy the culture? Would the people like me? Or yeah, so just kind of interesting to know from you guys' point of view as well. And I think that's a really interesting segue into the whole debate around office culture and blending in and fitting in what having that sense of belonging, you know, and I mean, I'm American as well. So for me to come in and, you know, is, am I working in somewhere that is, you know, visually diverse, but also culturally diverse and, you know, has influences from other international colleagues, that sort of stuff is really important to me. Um, and uh, I think sometimes companies disregard some of those aspects of um, corporate culture as well. I think from more even a social point of view as well, one of the things I did find, like, again, being early in my career, it's a very, like, British social work culture is very big on pubs, drinking, etc. And I feel like there needs to be a lot more um, acknowledgement that not everyone drinks and that not all social activities should revolve around drinking. It does exclude a lot of people who they either don't drink for religious reasons, cultural reasons, or they just don't want to. And I think it then makes it quite hard for them to feel like they can fit in from a social point of view. And it kind of looks like they're not trying to be included like included when it's more of the things that we do from a social point of view just unfortunately they don't appeal to me they don't attract me and that they, they don't align with my values or culture um so I think like while hiring a, a diverse background is one thing I also think retaining that is also a completely different ball game where it's like you need to make sure as we both like you both have mentioned that people feel like they can actually be themselves at work and it does sound cliche but um as Chris Dean said earlier, you're at work like all the time, like literally more than you are at home for being honest. So you don't want to feel like for a large majority of your life, you're kind of shying and hiding parts of yourself because you feel as if like this isn't a place I can fully be myself and know that I'm being accepted despite my different background. Um, or I'm having to kind of be one way at work and then be another way when I get back home. So Again, I do know that like there are some things that are the easiest and the most cost effective way. But I also do think a bit more thought and effort can be put in to make sure that people feel as if like, OK, cool, I'm in the door now. Now to make sure I stay, I, I, I want to feel as if like I'm being thought about as an employee in, in this organisation. And I want it to be... Um, clear that it's like we don't just cater to one group of people or one type of culture we're aware that we have people from all these different areas all these different backgrounds and we want to make sure that everyone feels like they're being included I think that was one of the things that I really it struck me as completely odd because after seven or eight years working in London I first got my when I first moved up to Oxfordshire where I live now and I was working in a small market town you know it's a completely different experience between working in a big city and a small town. And all of a sudden people are driving. And so when you have that many people driving, there's no drink culture or the, the drink culture is very different. So there's the, the location difference there as well to take into consideration. But you nailed it. It's about um, building is that, that culture of inclusivity. You know, it's it's about making sure that we all have that sense of belonging at work, you know, and PR, as, 
I think it was you, Talwani, who mentioned earlier that, you know, it's a wide umbrella, right? So there's so many different facets of PR. Internal comms has a massive role to play in terms of creating and building that culture. Now, they can't do it on their own, but, you know, they can set up programs and strategies and frameworks to help educate and to help thread the, that narrative and create that culture uh, throughout the whole organization. This has been such a really fascinating discussion. I mean, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We've talked about employee experience. We've talked about um, talent retention, talent recruitment, diversity inclusion, hybrid working. We've covered, you know, a lot of ground here. Um, so I really appreciate uh, your time today and I appreciate you uh, coming for this conversation. So thank you again to Christine and Talawani. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engage. We've included a link to the book John referenced in the show notes. And remember... The conversation doesn't stop there. If you have anything to add to our discussion or any hints or tips that could help other practitioners, please share them on LinkedIn or X, formerly Twitter, using the hashtag engage.